Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Morning. Well, it's morning for me. You'll hear it in my voice. I'm still waking up a little bit. I am so glad you are here. Remember when your kids were in diapers and spitting up and mealtime was mess time and the routines you needed when they were little? Everyone told you that these times would pass in a hurry and to not wish it away. And look at you now. Your kids are all grown up. Or they will be. Maybe you're still in that messy stage. But you can still listen because they're going to grow up and then this will be so good for you to have heard. But anyway, if you have adult kids, now it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? This topic has been requested by five different people whose children have grown up. And these parents want to parent and support without meddling. What is their role, they ask? What is my purpose? What do I do with my kids now that they're all grown up? When I was younger, my mom would have on the radio, I think it was AM 570, someone named Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She wrote lots of books, but I credit actually having the career I have now because I listened to her so much and read her books. And a lot of the time, not all of the time, I agreed with her. But one of the things she used to say was, you have two chances for a parent-child relationship. One, when you are the child, and the other, when you are the parent. And if you don't have kids, then you can always be a parent figure if you want. Positive parenting supports a child's healthy growth and inner spirit by being loving, supportive, firm, consistent, and involved, and being a positive role model. So that's true whether our kids are young or whether they're older. I was talking to my friend Callie about this topic, and she pointed me to a book called The Conscious Parent by Dr. Shafali. And I have read Dr. Shafali's other books, but this one I hadn't read yet. And so it's been kind of fun to dive into that book while I am preparing for this podcast episode. Dr. Shafali says in this book that we need to learn the art of connecting to ourselves and the art of connecting with others. So I want to say that again. There is an art of connecting to ourselves. And I love that so much. When we do not connect with ourselves, then we rely on others or outside sources to make us feel better about ourselves. This morning, I was frustrated with my daughter and felt imposter syndrome so much as I'm recording this because I get to practice what I preach. And since we are talking about grown kids today, it's especially important to not make your kids' life, as in their choices, career, beliefs, decisions on how they want to raise their kids, their choice of life partner, who their friends are, how they spend their time, what clothes they wear, the things that they buy or spend their money on, mean something 
about you as a parent, right? Sometimes we're like, why did they do that? I must have done something wrong. It must mean that I didn't teach them this or that. And this is where you get to work on your connection with yourself. Dr. Shafali states in this book several times how parenting can be a spiritual and sacred journey for the parent. The child's presence in our life is to awaken the parent to discover his or her own conditioning, his or her own emotional baggage, and to heal that. Isn't that an interesting way to look at parenting? It's not the typical way of viewing parenting, which is the typical way would be, I am dominant, I'm in charge, I know what's best, I'm going to create the child into what I want my child to be. And, you know, I think that's so damaging when we have that idea in our head that our child is our creation. Yes, we donated the sperm and the egg, but this child is them. They are who they are. And in my practice, when I see teens and young adults who tell me that they have parents who are parenting like that, very dominant, in charge, know what's best, these kids can be really anxious and they can become people pleasers and then they have a hard time trusting their own intuition and they don't feel like they can be authentic or come as they are to their parents for fear that their parents will be disappointed or lecture them. So sometimes then there's some lying or keeping information from them and they're not coming as their whole self. This is then really hard to have connection. Connection then is lost. If we can't come to our relationships with our authentic self and who we really are, then the connection is lost. So as parents, we have to know ourselves. We have to give grace to ourselves. We have to be able to sit with our uncomfortable feelings. The things about ourselves that we don't like about ourselves, we have to be really kind of aware of that. When we're not aware of that, Those things that we don't like about ourselves will really bug us in our kids. And then our kids get the brunt of what we don't like about ourselves. But if we're aware of what we don't like about ourselves and we can accept and acknowledge that that's maybe something we want to work on or that's just who we are, then we don't have to pass that thing on to our kids, that negative part of ourselves or that negative view of ourselves or perspective of ourselves onto our kids. We can just allow them to be who they are and be a good friend to ourselves, not be so perfectionistic, expecting so much of ourselves, because when we don't give grace to ourselves, then we don't give grace to our children. Again, if you are the parent of young kids, someday you'll be in this place and you might start thinking of how you can parent now to make that transition a little easier. If you are the parent of an emerging adult, like a teen or You'll relate to this as we go on. So just like we have terrible twos and troublesome threes and questioning four-year-olds, okay, four-year-olds, that's my favorite, favorite age. Oh my word. I loved, love, love four-year-olds. But there are stages like that for adult children as well. So life in the 20s, they're attending college or trying to learn skills or entrepreneurship. There might be a attending graduate school or getting advanced degrees, looking for jobs, they're dating, they're exploring their identity, they're defining career and life success. Like, what does it mean for me? I kind of talk to young adults because sometimes they'll have a type A parent who is go, 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 get her done, get in the best college, you know, make this kind of money. And for them, for the kid, that's not what success is. Success to them is, you know, enjoying time alone and a lot slower pace 
but not worrying about money, but not having a lot. And so we just have to look at our kids and see what does success mean for them and how can I support that? Our brains actually do not finish developing until between the ages of 25 and 28. Isn't that crazy? Our brains do not finish developing until 25 or 28, and some say even 30, especially for men. So this really is, in your 20s, an exploratory time of learning about one's likes and dislikes and energy levels and what success means to you. It's just a really good time to learn and explore the world and learn about yourself. So in the 30s, there's going to be career advancements, relationships, you know, relationship changes even. You're in long, long-term dating or marriage or living together. You're traveling, saving for or buying a home, sometimes choosing to have children and sometimes deciding that pets are who they want to take care of. And this is also when metabolism makes a little shift. So physical health is going to be important. Having a, you know, a really good bedtime routine and health routine is important. So in between 30s and 40s is when your child is going to start to make sense of what they were taught growing up and deciding whether or not that's how they want to live their life. And so oftentimes this is in there in people's 30s and 40s is when there can be the most discord between parents and adult children because they might make decisions that are not necessarily the same as their parents did when they were in their 30s and 40s. And then in our 40s, there's a more focused career or perhaps a career change. They might be raising children and they might be planning for caregiving you, the parent or other grandparents. They're also reaping the rewards of how they took care of their physical and mental and spiritual health in their 30s. As they're doing that, they're also seeing you as their parents aging. Mortality becomes a reality and they start planning for their future a little more intentionally. And then, of course, there's middle age and then senior years. Right now, we're just going to focus on the 20s, 30s, and 40s and what you can do to support your child in those stages in their life to help them be the successful person that they would want to be. There are four things to be aware of when parenting adult children is having manuals, having boundaries, being a consultant parent, and watching your thoughts. So let's talk about manuals for a minute. Your manual is your book of instructions on how to operate. We have these manuals for all the people, but today we are talking about the manual that you have for your adult children. In your manual, it says what they should and should not do. It might be things like they need to call me every day. Your manual might say that they should practice a religious service every month or wear a sacred piece of clothing or help clean up after a big family meal together or have a certain degree or a certain job or save money. There could be a whole bunch of things there. Anyways, you have a manual. And I know that because we all have manuals. Your grown kids have them for you too. It's best to be aware of what your manual says and know that your adult children probably don't know exactly what is in your manual. They don't see the fine print, just like you don't see the fine print on the manual they have for you. Or they do know what is in your manual, but they are being autonomous and choosing to follow the manual they have for themselves, not your manual. Probably much like you are not following the manual that they have for you. You're being autonomous and you have your own manual of who you want to be. And I know this can be disappointing. 
And guess what? No one died of disappointment. We can accept we are disappointed or just choose not to be disappointed at some point and live a good life. Now that we acknowledge that we have manuals, now we can go on and recognize and respect the differences. I'm not sure if you're aware, but your child is a little different than you. They're not the same. And so recognizing and respecting those differences is so important. If you and your child had conflict before they became an adult, it is not, and you know this, it's not going to just disappear overnight on their 18th birthday. Sometimes the conflict is just because there's a personality clash and being under one roof is difficult, right? But there is no time like the present today to just accept and celebrate the uniqueness of your child. They might not be a mini you, but that's okay. You might not always agree with their life choices, but as their independence grows, you can find joy in connecting with them. Remember that they are their own person. You are your own person at that age, right? You had your choices and they now have theirs, which let's remind ourselves does not mean that you are a good or bad parent. The best parents can have just really, I'm going to say naughty kids. And then the worst parents can have these really quote unquote good kids. Again, the kids just come as they are. You did the best you could with the information and knowledge you had at the time. Now, Your child is doing the best they can do with the information and knowledge they have. You can find mutually enjoyable activities or topics to share. And here's my plug for pickleball. Everyone can play. Littles to seniors and everyone in between. If there are political or religious differences, practice allowing those differences. I say that tongue-in-cheek because it's not as if you have control. But since you don't have control, then just allow it. Okay, so here's a fun exercise. I want you to hold your left hand up like you are going to give someone a high five, but make it face right. This hand represents reality. Choose a reality that you don't care for about your child. Maybe the way they do their hair, maybe the college that they chose, the spouse that they chose. Take your right hand and make a fist. Do you have it? Fist represents you. Now you're going to pound your right hand into your left hand. Do it again and again, again, and do it as hard as you can. I am pounding my right fist into my left palm over and over again. You can't hear it in the microphone, but it hurts. Doesn't it hurt you? That is you. You are the fist fighting reality. When you do not accept what your kid believes, or you want your kid to be something or someone different, doesn't your hand hurt? That represents you when you do that. It hurts. And it hurts your thoughts regarding your child as well. Your child who is supposed to be different from you. Remember that. They are not supposed to be the same. Your child is supposed to be different. Your child who came with their own set of ideas, temperament, personality, likes, dislikes, principles, purposes. So the more you fight against who they are, the more you hurt, the more connection is lost. The harder it is to have your child come to you for anything or tell you anything because they know you are punching reality and in essence, kind of punching them. Brene Brown, did you know that people think that I look like her? I have gotten stopped several times in the airport and other places telling me that I look like Brene Brown. Anyway, my claim to fame, 
So Brene, my lookalike, says, because we can feel belonging only if we have the courage to share our most authentic selves with people. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So think about what that means for you. Are you accepting yourself regardless what your kids are like? Are your kids met with criticism so they do not accept themselves in your presence? Staying with Brene, she also says, connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. When people feel the strength and the sustenance from the relationship because there's no judgment, then they feel connected. Now, let me tell you about disconnection. Disconnection actually shares the same neural pathways with feelings of physical pain. Just as healing physical pain requires describing it, talking about it, telling the doctor, this is where it hurts. We need help from a doctor sometimes to figure out what our physical pain is. And we have to do that same thing with our emotional pain. That is the pain that people feel when there is disconnection. When we allow our kids to be who they are, how they are, their choices, then we are allowing that connection to be there. You know, sometimes allowing takes practice. Practice learning about yourself and what is it about you that you can learn from your child. If there is something triggering you, it's something you can grow from. So sometimes we think, oh, that triggers me. I can't be around that person. But no, if it triggers you, that there is some, somewhere, somehow you can grow from that. So we need to not think that our kids have to follow in our footsteps. It's kind of fun when they do. We, they don't have to. That our connections can become deeper when we are intentional, curious, and loving and allowing them to be what and who they are. I'm going to plug that book again. Dr. Shafali, it's called The Conscious Parent. And another book about allowing and letting go is called Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And both of those books are excellent. Highly recommend them. I have talked about what it means to set boundaries in another podcast. I am going to say it again here because now we're talking about setting boundaries with adult children. So no matter what your living arrangements are, if there are adult children living at home, adult children living far away, and everything in between, sometimes boundaries are helpful. In fact, let me pull up what Brene Brown says about boundaries. Okay, so this is from Brene's Brown, Atlas of the Heart. She says, boundaries are a prerequisite for compassion and empathy. We can't connect with someone unless we're clear about where we end and they begin. If there's no autonomy between people, then there's no compassion or empathy, just enmeshment. Now, this is Brene Brown. For a couple of years, it made no sense to me at all. Why did all of the compassion practitioners, therapists, counselors, monks that I interviewed talk about the importance of boundaries? Why did the lack of boundaries and judgment seem to go hand in hand in the data? The heart of compassion is really acceptance. The better we are at accepting ourselves and others, the more compassionate we become. 
Well, it's difficult to accept people when they are hurting us or taking advantage of us or walking all over us. The research has taught me that if we really want to practice compassion, we have to start by setting boundaries and holding people accountable for their behavior. So boundaries, if you remember, are for you. They are not threats. Your children will have their own boundaries that are for them. I have a husband who is an introvert, and when we go to family reunions, he has a boundary that he just has to have his own space so that he can escape the loud, the constant game playing, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's his boundary. He just takes care of himself. He doesn't make a big deal about it. He just makes sure that he has a space to go to. And so our kids are going to have their boundaries, and we need to have ours. They get to trust that we know what is best for us, and we get to trust that they know what is best for them. There may be times when you're the first person that they call in a crisis, and other times they'll want to figure it out with a friend first. Likewise, just because your children are adults doesn't mean you should tell them all the intimate decisions and discussions that you might be having with your spouse. And boundaries may be how often you watch the grandkids or how late you stay up when people visit or if they stay over at your house or get a hotel or how much money you give them. These are mostly for you to know and to follow through with. You don't need to apologize for having boundaries for yourself because it's how you manage your life, not how others manage their life. Some adult children think you should always be responsible for them financially and or emotionally, and this is not true. If there is an unhealthy cycle that you have gotten into that needs to change, okay, then here is a good template to talk about it. Ask when a good time to talk about it would be. Make it a little appointment. Don't just blast them when they're not prepared. You know, in the work setting, we wouldn't just go up to our coworker and say, I have a problem with you and this is what it is. You'd say, hey, can I make an appointment with you to talk about such and such? And you set a time and you both kind of know what the topic is and then you discuss it. You want to make sure that they are not hungry, tired, or stressed. Make the appointment. Keep the appointment. Remember, this meeting is about understanding and about being understood, not about correction, arguing, or being right. Just understanding. And you're going to use I statements because you are taking responsibility for your feelings. So it can't be something like, you make me feel. In fact, try to avoid using the word you altogether because it puts people on the defensive. So an example of a non-helpful way to say something is, you make me feel sad that you spend Christmas and New Year's Eve with your in-laws instead of with us. So see, that way is giving the other person the responsibility for how you feel. In this case, you might try to understand first. So it might go something like this. The last few years, you've spent Christmas and New Year's Eve with your in-laws, and I'm wondering how you feel about that. And then you're going to wait for the answer and then reflect the answer. So it might be something like, well, yeah, you know, I feel guilty unless I spend it with them or, you know, they have these really good traditions and everyone else is there. And so we try to participate or, you know, they're not going to live very much longer. And so we really just want to spend the time that we have left with them. So you are seeking to understand before being understood. Then if you want to be understood, it might go something like this. I feel so loved 
when we spend time together because we have such a good time and I get to connect with you and your kids and your spouse. And I am wondering if there is a way we could come up with traditions that everyone would love to do during the holidays without taking away from what you have going on with the in-laws. I have a few ideas I'd like to share. And also, I would love to hear if you have ideas. So see how you're taking responsibility for how you feel. I feel, which is using your right brain, by the way. And then when you say the reason why you feel that way, that's using your left brain. So it's really good to say both the feeling and the reason why. Also, when you are coming up with the solution, then you are not being a victim. You are owning your feelings. You're communicating what you would like and not telling people that it has to be a certain way. And when you do this, everybody wins. I gave the holiday example because it's near the holidays, but this template could be used for any cycle that is not healthy or that you want understanding about. Okay. I already talked about doing things you enjoy together. If you loved painting with your daughter when she was a teen, there's no reason to stop now. Maybe this is a time to discover new things that you both love and create traditions, hobbies, or activities that appeal to you and your adult child. Commit to enjoying them together on a regular basis. When we do mutually enjoyable things together, it does create a bond, memories, understanding, love. And this doesn't have to be a big thing. Maybe what you enjoy is talking with a cup of tea and then do that. The other thing to do is making room for important people in their lives. So as your children, you know, enter in their 20s and 30s and 40s, sometimes it is hard to share your children with their friends, their roommates, their neighbors, or their love interest, even their spouse or kids. And these relationships are an important stage in their life and having independence and putting down roots and lifelong relationships for their life. So be open-minded and gracious as you meet this person or a group of people and find ways to get to know them without being pushy or critical. And this doesn't necessarily mean letting go of adult children, but giving them the room to grow and learn from others. And I would even go so far as being grateful for that other group or other person in their life because... They are learning and growing from that person and getting experiences. Again, possessiveness isn't flattering, and it's also fighting against reality. They are going to be friends or roommates or have this love interest. And so again, put up your hand. If you're saying, oh, I wish he wouldn't date that person. I wish he would not marry that girl. You are fighting against reality, and it hurts you. Acceptance and gratitude is the way to go here. Okay, another good tip is to be a consultant parent to your adult children. Sometimes I teach love and logic classes. There are three kinds of parents. There's the drill sergeant parent telling the kids what and how to do the thing. The helicopter parent hovering around their kids, making sure they are doing the right thing. And then there's the consultant parent, which knows that kids are going to make mistakes and do the wrong thing, but they allow for that. And they are there to be the sounding board when that does happen. When parents are drill sergeants or helicopter parents, sometimes it comes from a place of, my kids can't fail because then that would make me look like a bad parent. Or, I don't want my kids to suffer and make mistakes that they don't have to. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they don't make mistakes. Even when our kids get older, we can be somewhat like drill sergeants and helicopter parents. And please don't be the parents that use money to control your adult children. That does not give them a sense of autonomy. It actually pretty disrespectful and manipulative. If they want to do something else and you're saying, well, 
we'll give you this money if you don't make that decision or don't do this. I mean, you could do whatever you want, but I'm just saying that doesn't help your kids. Okay. So if you are respectful and your kids know that they can show up as themselves and be loved and accepted, then they will be more likely to come to you for your wisdom and insight. And this is what you want as a consultant parent. When they know how much you care, they will care how much you know. How many times have you heard me say that? (laughs) But even then, you know, think about when you learn math or any subject for that matter. If you had to struggle a little bit to figure it out, didn't you learn it better? You don't want to solve your kids' problems for them. Don't always even offer your wisdom and advice. Try that on. Support them while they figure it out. Certainly, we don't need to fix correct or lecture when they are growing through something hard. They need to know that going through hard things is part of life's experience. And you have every confidence that they will be able to figure it out. Experiential learning is always the best way or, you know, coming up with the idea or insight on their own. And then they get the credit for it. If you came up with it, then you get the credit for it. You know, when my kids were little, I loved it when they got the credit for coming up with their own thing. It gave them more confidence in themselves. And when we do solve our own problems, it does create confidence. So if you want confident kids, let them solve their own problems. Because your child may have a very different personality, you know, the way their brain works, temperament, ideas, principles than you, what you might suggest may not even work for them. As helpful as you think it might be, it's just different with different personalities, right? And if your kids sense criticism, they might shut down. And I know we're talking about 20, 30, 40-year-olds, but even if you are washing the dishes and your spouse is hovering over you saying, oh, you missed a spot. Oh, you didn't do that right. Oh, you forgot this. You are not going to want to wash the dishes with that person. And that's the same with our kids. They're not going to want to be around us if we're constantly criticizing even the way they parent, the way they clean their house, the way they drive, I don't know, anything. If you're sharing wisdom, do so with grace and sensitivity. And I know that that can be challenging, but it is a way to build a strong bond of understanding and empathy with them. Learn how they communicate. Empathy is not saying, I know how you feel. Or I would feel this way too. Or when this happened to me, I felt this way. Please leave you out of it. If you have to relate everything back to you, then you are not truly being present with the person you are with. And you know why we do that? If someone tells us something, then we want to relate it back to us because it kind of makes us feel like we have control over our lives. We we take this uncomfortable situation and then we say, oh, well, I fell. And it's like, okay, I have control again. Because you don't have control when the other person is feeling a certain way and they're telling you something difficult. So then when you bring it back to you, then, okay, now I have control again. Avoid doing that. Practice sitting with the discomfort. Sit with the unknown. Sit with the pain and suffering, especially if your kid is going through something. You know, maybe they have a child who has cancer or they are struggling financially or something. We don't want to solve their problem and we don't want to say, well, this is what I did sit with them, sit with them and their suffering and the wrestle and just being there is enough. Listening is enough. If you have a hard time, practice. You will get better. We want to create an atmosphere in which your children feel like they can talk to you. Adult children will not always be asking for advice, but rather just a sounding board. And in order to be a consultant parent, you have to know your own bias, prejudices, and 
be an emotional adult, not making things about you. Do not offer unsolicited advice. Ask if they would like to hear what you have to say or what you have done. That goes for any age, really. In the Love and Logic classes, we say, don't just tell your kids what you want them to hear. Say, would you like some advice on that? Or would you want to hear how some people do it? And if the kid says, nope, I don't, then respect that. If they say, yeah, I kind of want some ideas just to get my brain going, then yeah, then tell them what maybe other people have done. But don't just offer it unsolicited. Ask if you can give the advice. Again, because the way you did it or the way you think is not always the way that will work for your kid because no two situations are alike. Be confident that they will be able to solve it. Let them know. And if they do ask for advice, let them know that this is just what you think right now, but whatever decisions they make, you will love them no matter what. We grow in the wrestle of things. We don't grow if things are solved for us. We grow in uncertainty, not when we are certain. We grow when we feel love no matter what. So the type of consultant parent is up to you of what kind of consultant parent you're going to be. So for instance, some consultants are needed just once a year and others four times a year. And others are more frequently like three times a week or daily. So what kind of consultant were your parents to you? And did you appreciate the amount of contact? Did you want more or less? I have a small counseling practice, and if I were to hire a consultant to mentor my business, I wouldn't want someone who doesn't know much about it. I would want them to come and see the day-to-day and know the inner workings before I took their advice on anything. I probably wouldn't care to hear from someone who didn't know what it was like to run a counseling business and be in the trenches and see the ins and outs of personalities, contractors, demographic of clients, and the financial decisions that we make. I need to know that that consultant knows what I'm already doing and how I'm doing it and the reasons I do it that way before I can listen how I could do it differently. So if you are the consultant parent who pops in yearly or wants to participate in the fun stuff but doesn't know the daily stuff, that is okay. There is nothing wrong with doing it that way. But then it also means that you're not in the trenches. So it's okay that your kids don't come to you for in the trenches stuff. And definitely do not give unsolicited advice if you're not there in the know. You don't really know the better thing, right? Or at least it's not going to be listened to because you're, you're not in it. So again, there's nothing wrong with a distance consultant. Personality, temperament, location, health, capacity, vocation can all play a part in how the relationship is. Just be honest with what it is and why it is that way. And if you want to make changes, then state your intention and make the changes. Otherwise, stick with the program that is working for you. And just know that with that program comes some of the distance. And that's okay. There are all kinds of consultants. And whatever kind of consultant parent you decide you want to be, if it's different than it is now, know that it just takes trust and time. And maybe you are in the trenches and want to get out. (laughs) And you're thinking, I don't want to know all the ins and outs. And I want some distance there. Communication goes a long ways. What if your adult child has been out of the house for a season and now wants to move back in? It's hard to say no, right? Especially if there is financial difficulty or a mental health or cognitive concern or a life change like a job or divorce or we're just trying to save money. It's easy for both parents and the child to fall back into old habits. Do not do this. 
If they were not good habits, set the expectations right from the beginning. Rent, chores, rules, the amount of time this arrangement is set to last, what happens if it exceeds that time frame, what are the worst case scenarios that could happen while they're living with you? How can we navigate that? I see parents trying to keep the peace with their adult children and let them run the household without limits or boundaries. And they think if they set up rules or boundaries, then their child will be mad or leave or it will cause drama in the family. But listen, if you don't set up those boundaries, then there is drama in the family, right? Actually, kids respect the parents who set boundaries. They may not like it or agree with it, but they will respect you for having it. If not, that's okay too. Then they can find another place to live. With any of your interactions, I love this phrase, lead with love. Is what you are about to say loving? Is what you are about to do loving? So if you are the parent that sends your kids gifts, but what they really want is to talk on the phone with you, then you might be missing the mark and wonder why you are not close. Or maybe you are calling every other day, but their love language is acts of service. So calling isn't doing it. As your child grows and as you get older, maybe what they appreciated in their 20s is not what they appreciate in their 40s. And is it uncomfortable? Yeah, things are uncomfortable. This life isn't supposed to, we don't grow in comfort. This life is supposed to be uncomfortable. So if you have a kid and you're like, well, I never really call them. So it would be kind of weird if I called them. Be uncomfortable and call them. If it's weird to say, I love you at the end of your conversations, then be uncomfortable. I'm going to say this a million times. Being uncomfortable didn't kill anybody. Being uncomfortable is fine. It helps us to grow. The more you get used to being uncomfortable, the more confident you are as a person. So practice being uncomfortable. Say the I love yous, give the hugs, make the calls, send the gifts. Do the things that you think will show your kid that you love them. As a parent, you are expected to get everything right and never make mistakes and never mess up your words and always buy the right gifts and plan the perfect celebrations and holidays and reunions, or you will ruin your relationship with your kid. That is a lie. That's such a myth. You are not going to be perfect. You are not going to get everything right. You are totally going to make up, make mistakes and mess up your words and say the wrong things and buy the wrong gift. And it's all okay. Our kids can also learn to have grace for you just as you're learning grace for them. And the more that they love themselves, the more grace that they can give you. That's part of this beautiful, messy life. The important part is, isn't how you mess up. It's actually how you repair. Do you know how to repair? Repairing is acknowledging what it is that was hurtful. Saying sorry without the buts not doing it again, and then taking time to build trust, talking, doing mutually enjoyable activities, and seeing your adult child as an equal. When you don't make the repair, it shows that you are so uncomfortable with mistakes that you try to brush things under the rug. Is that the kind of family that you want? Is that the kind of precedent that you want set? As the parent, you are setting the precedent. True, authentic relationships are when we can mess up. And we can say we're sorry. We make the repair and then, you know, after it's been a little while, we can laugh at it. Parents, if you brush it under the proverbial rug, therapists all over the world will hear about it. So do what you can to repair. And I guess that goes for anyone, right? 
When you are not repairing relationships, especially if something was said or done that is really hurtful, all the therapists hear about it. Use Byron Katie's The Work or Watching Our Thoughts Toward Our Adult Children. I bring this up a lot because it is so powerful to use in any relationship. It's just a really good tool. When you have a thought about your adult child that is causing you suffering or pain, use Byron Katie's four questions to walk you through it. Or take this into your therapy session and work on it with your therapist. Just so you know, that is a therapist's dream. So you might have the thought, my son cares more about his in-laws and his wife's family than he does for his own. This thought might be very painful to you. Substitute any thought you have about your adult child and plug it in there. So maybe that's not your thought, but just whatever painful thought you have about your adult child, put it here. Okay, so the first question is, is it true? Is that thought that you have true? So in this case, is it true that my son cares more about his in-laws and how his wife and his wife's family than he does for his own? Is that true? Question two, can you absolutely know it's true? There are not a lot of things we absolutely know to be true. You do not know what is in his heart and mind, if he is being compelled or obligated, or if it is care and love. Without speaking to him and understanding him, I would say you do not absolutely know this to be true. And I would take any sentence that you had in your thought and really question whether it's true or not. Okay, question three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? So in this scenario, some moms try to give guilt trips or they'll cry. They'll isolate themselves. They send threats. They tell their son, you must not love or care about me because you spend time with the in-laws, stating it like it's a fact instead of being curious or just asking. So how do we react when we believe a thought? You know, I even think sometimes when I walk into a room, how do I act when I walk into that room? I'm going to act way different than if I'm confident. I know there's nothing in my teeth. I look fantastic. I act differently according to what I'm thinking. Do you see that? Okay, so question four. Who would you be without that thought? So what is your negative thought? Who would you be without that? So if this mother didn't have the thought, my son cares more about his in-laws and his wife's family than he does for his own, then how would that mom act? She would be probably more loving confident, goes out of her way to plan things and make contact. She would be a completely different mother if she didn't think that. So what Byron Katie's work shows us is that because of a thought, we behave differently. If she was aware of her thoughts and could see that that thought didn't serve her and she could change the thought or at least be curious to find out the truth, then her outcome would be completely different. Some of the thoughts that I hear baby boomers saying about their adult children, here's just a few examples, because I do have a, quite a few baby boomers that come in to see me. So here's what they can say about their kids. They are too busy for me. They don't want to talk to me or take time for me. They just want me to watch their kids. They don't care about me. I don't have anything in common with them and nothing to talk about. They have abandoned me. They are very unthoughtful, and they don't respect me or the life I have lived. Aren't all of those thoughts? 
just painful. And there's a whole other assortment surrounding the holidays. Trust me, when the holidays come, there's more thoughts. There's more sentences. And remember, thoughts are just sentences in your head. They're not true. They're not necessarily true, I should say. So watch your thoughts and maybe use these questions to help you see that it's not your kid that causes you suffering. It's your thought about your kid that causes you suffering. So asking if it's true or is it really true and how I react when I have this thought and who would I be without it is such a great exercise to manage your unneeded suffering. Unless you want to be a martyr and suffer and then by all means, you do you. Also, if your 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old child doesn't forgive you for the messiness after you have tried to repair it, give it time. They have to learn the same stuff. Let me end with my lookalike, Brene Brown. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something we nurture and grow, a connection that can be cultivated between two people only when it exists within each one of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, and disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can survive these injuries only if they're acknowledged, healed, and rare. So it may take your adult child to love themselves before they can come to the table for a relationship, but practice loving yourself and being that love to your adult child, and then they can learn the same thing. It is a journey. I like what Dr. Shafali says. This parenting gig, no matter how old our children are, can be a spiritual journey and gift to us if we allow it. We can allow our children to be who they are meant to be, and they are our teachers. We can be conscious parents to our adult children when we are aware of our manuals, when we are not enmeshed and have good boundaries and communication, and when we are being a consultant parent, and we can really watch our thoughts to see if they are serving us or not. It's one thing to know it and another thing to implement it. So join me and we can do this together. Onward to conscious, intentional parenting. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time.